everyone. I'm your co-host, Rach. And I'm your co-host, Rebecca. And welcome to another episode of Ember Island Sayers. This week, we're going to be talking about Season 3, Episode 3, The Painted Lady. In this episode, the gang stop for food at a Fire Nation village situated in the middle of a river. When they discover that the water has been polluted by a nearby metal factory, Katara becomes determined to help the locals. <laughs> okay this was an interesting episode because there was no fire nation people apart from the fact that like they were in a fire nation village <laughs> no royals no royals yes or royalty adjacent people yeah. but it was a very fun episode and uh i think it reminded me of like a book one episode but sort of more developed mm. if that makes sense mm-hmm. i i get that vibe <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's definitely what it um, what it had for me. But I really enjoyed it. Oh, good. Do you have a poem for us for Sokka's Poetry Society? I do, I do. I feel like we've had Katara poems just three weeks in a row, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm not mad. Nah, she deserves it. She does, yeah. And next week probably won't be a Katara poem. That's true. I mean, you're going to be writing it, and it's Sokka's master, and we all know how much you love Sokka, so. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't it be funny if I wrote a Katara poem for Sokka's master? (laughs) I mean, you could play with perspective. That might be fun, but. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. Well, um, I'm eager to hear what you wrote. All right, here goes. Shrouded in mist and mystery, she materializes to me. Adorned in white and painted in red, she lifts her veiled and hatted head. A kindly thank you is exchanged. The air around me begins to change. And though sadly we must part ways, a gentle peace covers Jang Hui. Ooh. (laughs) I like that. It was very kind of evocative. I think that this is a good episode to write a poem for because it is kind of like spiritual and... Mm. cool like that and but I liked how you really painted a picture (laughs) with your words and uh, you had some cool assonance in there as well thank you I try what is the last part you said is that the name of the village yeah Jang Hui ah okay I didn't get that from the episode yeah they don't say it in the episode (laughs) gotcha gotcha that makes sense okay I'm glad that I didn't just completely miss that no All right, so should we get into this episode? Very straightforward structure this time. Yeah, it is. No jumping back and forth. Nope. We start with... This is kind of why I said that it reminded me of a book one episode, because we start with, like, the gang on Appa, you know, (laughs) going to another place, uh, basically. Except this time they're cruising down a disgusting river. (laughs) Oh my god, I was a little bit concerned about Aang swimming in that river. I was like, that's maybe not a good idea, Aang. Yeah, especially with his injuries. Like, you don't know what's getting into those cuts. <laughs> oh no, you're right. Ew, it's like my mom's bad. side coming out. <laughs> Aang, be careful. Yeah, I generally dislike any bodies of water like I literally will not get into any of them because I do not know what is in them so this one in particular really disgusts me (laughs) it's really bad yeah yeah and he's playing a weird game of hide and seek with Momo but it doesn't really make any sense 
It's kind of like Marco Polo. Yeah, yeah, I guess it is. I don't think Momo really understands the concept of hide and seek. So. <laughs> no. Does Momo understand the concept of anything? <laughs> uh, that's a valid question. He doesn't understand the concept of water. Very valid to ask, I think. He, you know, is swimming around in this disgusting river. And meanwhile, Sokka is trying to catch some fish for them to eat. And this reminded me actually of the very first episode of book one, mm. when Sokka is trying to fish and Katara in the background is waterbending a fish. <laughs> yeah, I feel like she'd be able to do that here, but she's really not wanting to eat anything from this river, which is very understandable. <laughs> Especially when we see the fish that come out of that river later. Yeah. Yeah, so they opt for going to this little village that they see instead and seeing if they can find food there. Mm-hmm. But Sokka is a little opposed to this. <laughs> yes, because he has a very tight schedule that he has drafted out. <laughs> Man, I thought I couldn't love Sokka more, and then I saw his color-coded schedule. And I was like, <laughs> you are very, very similar to me in some ways. <laughs> Because I even posted it in our Discord, like, the spreadsheets that I make are all color-coded. And if I have to make a schedule, I will make them color-coded as well. And I found out a fun fact about it, actually, which is that, uh, according to Avatar Wiki, the master schedule that he has is really a production schedule that was used by the animators to plan out the episodes and the seasons of the show. <laughs> That's so fun. It really did look like that. Like yeah. It looked like they just kind of copied and pasted. <laughs> yeah, and that's smart because then they don't have to really like animate something new. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a really fun nod to their process as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I always think that it must be interesting and also stressful to be in a writer's room and try to like map everything out. But he is being kind of a little bit too strict about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's... <laughs> telling them they can't have bathroom breaks if they stop at this village. So <laughs> It's like, okay, dude. <laughs> yeah, and then later on he makes a joke about, well, it's not a joke to him, but he says that if they combine bathroom breaks and eating, they would save time. So disgusting, dude. <laughs> that soccer? No, no, just no. Oh, uh, yeah. So they disguise... Appa. I think they're they're getting a little bit better at that. <laughs> yeah, I think they're finding a new way to do it every episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they had the cloud last episode, and now this time they cover him in moss. Mm-hmm. And they had the cave, they just took him to a different part of the cave. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he's hidden, and then they arrive at the village, and they're met by a guy called Doc. Doc kind of ferries them into the village. And I feel like it's definitely one of the show's more depressing settings, at least at first. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, everybody's kind of affected by this pollution that's going on in the river. Yeah, yeah. And they talk about how this factory is nearby. It's like a metal factory. I think they're manufacturing weapons, right, for the Fire Nation. Mm-hmm. Or it could be where they make those coffins. 
Oh my god, Rach. I cracked it. It's all coming together now. <laughs> it all makes sense. We've been asking for like two seasons. <laughs> Where the metal coffins are coming from. They came from this factory and... From this moment on, do we see any other metal coffins? We'll have to keep a lookout for that. I don't think we do. This theory oh my gosh. is solid. Yes, we cracked it. <laughs> I love it. Oh my god. Okay, well, I'm very pleased that we have a grand theory of Avatar, and it is 100% correct. <laughs> on a more serious note, this scenario did remind me of, I mean, I think it's reminiscent of so many different things, but I think particularly, you know, things like the Flint water crisis or the Hinkley groundwater contamination, which is famously, they talk about it in the movie Aaron Brockovich. You know, those are both cases where you have people living in a quote-unquote first world country, and yet they are not able to access things like water that is free of chemicals. Right, yeah. And that's the same thing that's going on here. Like, these people are in a nation that's pretty wealthy, but they're having to survive under these horrible circumstances, even so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. It's like, so many people are disposable to the Fire Nation, and Doc talks about how this was just, like, a little fishing village before, so obviously Ozai doesn't care about this place that really wasn't providing him anything that he needed so they've kind of just been swept under the rug and not taken care of by their own leaders Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and it also made me think back to like way back i think in book one i remember asking about like you know the fire nation citizens and you mentioning that we would see things from kind of their point of view and see that not Mm -hmm. everyone in the fire nation is necessarily complicit and uh, benefits from what's going on. Right, right. And even if these people wanted to take a side and (laughs) wanted to take up arms, they don't really have the resources to do so. And I feel like that's almost a tool of oppression in and of itself is like, we're going to purposefully make sure these people don't have a way of rebelling against the system that really hurt them. Absolutely. And yeah, as you say, it's incredibly sad to see them like this. Especially the little kids, I feel like, just awful. Yeah, yeah. And that's what really grabs Katara's attention, I think. She, Mm. I mean, she's kind of horrified by the whole situation. Yeah, yeah. And it's probably, I think, I only just thought of this now, but it's probably exacerbated by the fact that, like, she is from a fishing community, right? Mm. Even though hers was uh, ocean more than river, I guess. But that probably hits her pretty hard as well, and that she's thinking that, like, you know, what if my tribe couldn't fish anymore? Yeah, yeah. I think she can definitely relate to these people on a human level, for sure. And it's also just Katara. I mean, we've seen this before, that she, this is definitely a facet of her personality that has been very clear before, that she cares a lot about people, and she kind of latches onto these causes where she's just like, I can't just stand by and watch, I have to do something to help. Right. Of course, Saka is not enthused about this. He 
just wants to get food and get out of there as quickly as possible. Yeah, yeah. And I really like their conflict. I think it's so interesting because what kind of comes out is they have a little like back and forth discussion. And what comes out is that Sokka is, uh, you know, thinking more about the bigger picture of things, right? Right. He's like, well, you know, if we stop here, then we don't have enough time to, you know, stick to our schedule. And uh, later on, we get a bit more information about, you know, how little time they actually have. But essentially, he's concerned about the fact that they won't be able to make it in time to be part of the invasion on the day of the solar eclipse. Mm -hmm. He sort of says, well, you know, the best way to help these people is to get rid of the Fire Lord. And, and this comes up again where he's talking about, like, we need to get rid of the root of the problem sort of thing. He's very focused on that. And I do think that getting rid of Ozai definitely will help to an extent. <laughs> yeah. But I also don't think, like, he understands that this isn't a be-all, end-all solution. Like, we talked about this in the last episode, how there is definitely something to this down-in-the-trenches approach where the gang is really planting the seeds of compassion and care wherever they go. And I think, I don't know if it's like equally as important, but I do think it's very important to their cause as well. Yeah, I think that, you know, I really liked this sort of idea, these warring ideas, if you like, (laughs) which they don't necessarily have to be because you can also reach a compromise, but I feel like they're often warring sides in my own head about Mm -hmm. things because I have a tendency to look at things that are happening in the world and be like, on the one hand, I really want to help just directly. Like, how could I help directly? And then on the other hand, I'm like, well, but what about the root cause of this? Like, isn't the solution to this tackling the root cause? Mm Mm-hmm. And I think it's difficult to balance that out sometimes. And, like, you don't want to neglect the root cause when you help. It's kind of like just, you know, it's the whole giving a man a fish versus teaching a man to fish, that kind of thing, which is relevant here because we're talking about fishing. Also, it's kind of sexist. It doesn't necessarily have to be a man. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's this idea that, like, if you give people the tools then that can often be more effective than just providing them with aid directly, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I do like to challenge that (laughs) phrase, though, because I feel like you can give somebody a fishing rod, but if they don't have the, the energy and, like, the community that they need to get by, then it's kind of useless. So I, I think we'll talk about this later a little bit, how this episode does a good job of demonstrating that there needs to be a balance between the two of those things. Yeah, I agree with you. And I can see your point as well. Um, and this episode has a really interesting exploration of that. So we will talk about that some more as we go. Yes. <laughs> For now, we get to meet Doc's brother, 
shoe. <laughs> and at first I was like, is this a nurse joy type situation? <laughs> and then I realized that no, they're just the same person. <laughs> yes. So he just like kind of dips down and changes into a different hat. And he's like, hi, I'm Shu and I'm the owner of the fish shop here. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. They don't really address it in the show, but clearly Doc slash Shoe slash the other name that he uses later has some issues. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, look where he lives. I can't really blame him for that. (laughs) That is a really good point. Yes. Yes. They just kind of have some interactions with him and they are able to buy some fish. Yeah, some very questionable looking fish. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. I would not eat that fish personally, but I guess if you have nothing else, then... You gotta do what you gotta do. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) They take this fish back to their little campsite that they've made, and I did like this little detail of how they got clean drinking water, which is Toph bends the mud and everything out of it while Aang bends the water. I just thought that was a cool little detail. Yeah, I like that too. It looked really neat. And it's also, I don't know if this is relevant to it at all, but carbon is something that we do use to filter water, so I wonder if like maybe Toph could do something with that. Ah, yes. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) They uh, decide to get some rest, and then Katara, I think you can tell that this is still hanging over her head. Mm Mm-hmm. But basically, uh, the next morning, they figure out that Appa appears to be sick, and they're supposed to leave. That's Sokka's whole thing, right? Is that he's like, we need to leave first thing in the morning to stick to our schedule. But uh, Appa is, like, rolling on the ground. (laughs) When they examine him a little more closely, he has a purple tongue. Yeah, I thought it was funny that Aang just, like, pulled his entire tongue out of his mouth. (laughs) Because it reminded me how I am with my animals. Like, Oh, yeah. I will do the grossest things for them, but I am their mom. So, like, even if I have to collect their pee or, like, wipe their butts, I'm just like, you know what? That's my child. So. Oh, yeah. Same here with Lucky, too. Like, I often have to, uh, when we come back from walks, I have to wipe his butt sometimes. Yeah, you just get used to it. I'm also a biologist, so, like, it's whatever. <laughs> I was a little bit suspicious, even over the purple tongue, because I was like, I could believe that the water made him sick, because it was really gross, but I was like, the purple tongue is weird. A little off there. (laughs) Just a little. And then I became even more suspicious in the next part, because we then find out that, well, they go into the village, and they go to uh, talk to, I guess it's Shu again. (laughs) they ask about sort of uh, medicine for Appa but he mentions to them that everyone in the village received food the night before yeah they're in much better spirits than they were the day before everyone's kind of like running around all happy (laughs) yeah yeah and and the gang is like uh what's going on here yes exactly And this is when we get the first mention of the Painted Lady. Shu says that this is a local legend, right? That there is a spirit called the Painted Lady. And she helps them, I guess? Yeah, she's kind of like the guardian of their village. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
this is who they attribute to the miraculous food. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they start talking about how they need medicine for Appa, and this is when they learn that actually the medicine is all taken by the factory nearby. Yeah, those jerks. <laughs> yeah, so not only have they polluted the whole river, but they're probably getting sick from it themselves, so they need the medicine, you know? Right, right, exactly. Yeah, and this, again, you kind of see Katara be like, well, this sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then the next scene that we see is that at night, this person comes to there's like this house where I guess all the sick people are being kept and uh, she heals them and it appears to be the painted lady we all know it's Katara I think at this point <laughs> it's pretty obvious that it's Katara yeah <laughs> she's really now being the dramatic one <laughs> we always make fun of Zuko for like sneaking out in his outfits and stuff but now it's Katara's turn there's, like, mist everywhere, and she puts on this costume and paints herself, and she goes and heals people in the dead of night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, what we find out later is that she initially didn't do it as the painted lady. I think the first time she was just doing it herself and was, like, hidden. Yeah. But then when she heard about the legend, she was like, oh, well, I can use that as, like, my cover. <laughs> Good job, Katara. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was pretty smart. So uh, she heals the sick, and and there's like a little kid who's like, thanks, painted lady, which is really cute. Yeah, she has this smile on her face, like, oh, good, I'm doing some good here. <laughs> yeah, I did think it was really kind of sad, though, that this village could have used a water vending healer, and the fact that all of the nations are separated means that they never would have been healed without Katara, and... I think this is just a good example of, like, we need integrated communities because everybody has something to contribute and share with one another. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a really good point. And that goes back to, like, what Iroh talked about with the four elements, mm -hmm. too, right? Yeah, and it is a shame that she has to hide that she is a waterbender as well, because that's another thing. She can't be obvious about the fact that she's a waterbender, so the Painted Lady is a good cover for that reason, too. Yeah, it did remind me a lot of the episode Imprisoned, mm. where she, you know, stands up to the firebenders and kind of helps empower the Earth Kingdom village that Haru was from to rebel, but it's really a lot harder to do that when she's in disguise and she can't give away her identity right exactly i felt like there were a lot of parallels between this and imprisoned because again it's katara sort of having this just innate desire to help and sometimes she doesn't see the bigger picture because of that but you can tell that she's coming from a good place and that's kind of what Sokka says i think so the next morning they hear about what happened and Sokka is kind of like, well, yeah, but the factory's still there. Yeah, this is when he puts this idea in Katara's head. <laughs> okay, we're not addressing 
the biggest issue here. Yeah, because they'll probably get more people who are sick, right? And they're still not going to have any medicine. Right, it's just an endless cycle. Katara's fix is only temporary. Yeah, he kind of puts this idea in Katara's head, as he said. Uh, There's also a great scene with Sokka and Aang, (laughs) which I loved. Katara is very annoyed with them, but I thought it was hilarious. (laughs) And I'd seen, I think, a gif of that before. Just of Aang doing... So they're both imitating what spirit magic is supposed to be like. And Aang does like a woo. I love it when they get to be goofy together. I just feel like they're so much fun. (laughs) Yeah, I do too. It's some of my favorite stuff is them being goofy together. They have this scene and then we get to see the next night because Alpa is still sick. So they still aren't able to move on sick in quotation marks. We see the next night and this is when it's actually revealed that Katara is the painted lady because we see her putting on the makeup and everything. Yeah, so she makes this cool ice mirror to put on her paint. (laughs) Mm, Yes, yes, that was cool. Yeah, I just love the little bending moments, as we've discussed many times before in this podcast. (laughs) Oh yeah, it's the best. It's always the best when people use their superpowers for little things. I've said this before as well, that like some of my favorite things with the X-Men is when they use their powers for like silly things like in x-men 2 there's a scene when uh you probably remember when bobby blows on the i think it's beer or no it's coke <laughs> to make it cold for wolverine mm-hmm, just the little mundane things in life <laughs> this time around i think it's momo who alerts ang to what's going on because momo sees katara sneaking away and then ang wakes up He's sleeping on Appa, which I just thought was adorable. <laughs> I didn't notice that. I saw it in your notes, though. That's really cute. Everyone else has a sleeping bag, but Aang was like, yeah, I'm going to sleep on Appa. <laughs> I bet Appa is very comfortable. He starts chasing after the painted lady because essentially what he wants is for her to heal Appa. And he tries to appeal to her by saying, like, hey, I'm the avatar, you know, I'm the connection between this world and the <laughs> spiritual world. I know, hey, bye. We're close personal friends. I thought that was so funny. <laughs> yeah, so he's just chasing her all over the place. Katara's like, oh my gosh, I can't get rid of him. <laughs> I thought it was cute how eager he was to meet her, but she was not having it (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah it was really cute and he finally manages to catch up with her and she puts on this weird fake accent when she's talking to him (laughs) i don't know what accent it is but it's just weird it kind of sounded like someone trying to be an old lady or something ang is crushing on her a little bit which is pretty funny as well (laughs) yeah he's like you're really pretty for a spirit i don't get to meet too many spirits but the ones i do meet not very attractive. He's right. Like, all of the spirits we've met so far, besides UA, have been, like, a little disturbing, especially Ko. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would call Ko a little disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little. And Heibai in his monstrous form is really scary, too, so. As a panda, he's cute, but not, yes. like, beautiful <laughs> in the same way. And he is kind of praising her at first, and she's kind of trying to deflect, but eventually 
It takes a little while. Aang figures out that she is Katara. Then he kind of puts all the pieces of the puzzle together and is like, wait a minute, Appa's not really sick, is he? (laughs) Right, right, yeah. And he uh, has actually a great reaction, I think, to finding this out. Because he kind of seems like he might be annoyed at first. But then he's like, oh, this is really cool. You're like a secret hero. And the look she gives him, too, is like, oh. <laughs> yeah. And I liked it because, like, I've talked about Aang as a superhero before. And I feel like this is one time where we're seeing Katara. She's acting kind of like a vigilante justice type person. Kind of like Batman. <laughs> Yeah, she's vigilante justice and also this symbol that people can really get behind in the village, you know? Mm. And I think that sometimes that's one of the themes that comes up a lot in superhero-related things is this idea that a superhero isn't just the person, it's also the symbol. And how people can sort of unite behind that symbol as well. Uh, I thought it was was really fun. And it's just nice that he's so supportive of her. It was, and I think immediately after this she asks him to go with her to help which i thought was really sweet as well (laughs) yes and she as we find out is on her way to the factory Mm Hmm. she's about to destroy it yep bye bye factory it's been nice (laughs) yay eco-terrorism date (laughs) (laughs) those are the dates that uh ang and katara have just avatar things just avatar things eco-terrorism dates yes they go to the factory and it's a pretty quick scene actually that we get but it's kind of cool that they are able to take out this factory so easily yeah it reminded me of the drill because they were also in this sort of metal cage situation but they were having kind of a rough time in that episode and i think they've just gotten even more powerful they were both having such a good time which kind of cracked me up like (laughs) they looked really thrilled to be like pouring molten lava (laughs) onto everything and breaking windows and flooding the place (laughs) well as you said it's a date so they're having a good time on their date (laughs) do you think they'll tell their kids someday like our first date (laughs) sort of, was when we destroyed a factory together and it was great. (laughs) That would be amazing. (laughs) I think it was also probably made a bit easier for Katara because the river was right there, as opposed to the drill, which was just in the middle of a freaking desert. (laughs) But uh, yeah, it's definitely, I think, also a testament, as you say, to how far advanced her powers are now. Very cool little scene. (laughs) Very cool. And they leave, the factory is completely destroyed, but we do get to see a dude with a scar who doesn't look very happy. No, he is very upset. I guess he's, like, the factory manager. Meanwhile, uh, Ang and Katara go back to the gang, and Sokka and Toph are awake, and they figured out what's going on. I will say, it did take Sokka a little while. You know, he's supposed to be the brains of this operation. (laughs) But he's pieced together that Katara has been, you know, acting as a painted lady, and also he's figured out that the berries turn your tongue purple because they did the same thing to Toph. Yeah, why did he make Toph eat them? (laughs) 
Well, maybe he didn't. Maybe Toph just ate them and that's how they figured that's it out. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, he's not really happy, but they have bigger things to deal with because the people who, I guess, worked at the factory or... Yeah. The, at least one of the guys did. They are uh, on their way to uh, kick some butt. Yep, they're headed straight to the little fishing village and they are not happy. And it's at this point that Sokka's like, uh, what did you do, Katara? <laughs> yeah, and as he points out pretty quickly, like, they're gonna blame the villagers for this. And I think that's one of the instances that Katara wasn't really thinking. She was even like, it's, it was your idea, Sokka. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I forgot the urgency of this scene. It was kind of giving me a little bit of anxiety when it all played out. Like, it was very unnerving. I felt like the stakes were really high. And I think they did a really good job with that scene in particular, evoking a lot of emotion. I agree with that. I think it was really great. And this is when we get, I think, the kind of culmination of the Sokka and Katara conflict, maybe? Mm-hmm, Yeah. Or at least, like, the sort of most intense point of it, which is, you know, Katara is still determined to stand up for what she believes is right. Like, she's like, you know, okay, maybe I didn't think this through completely, (laughs) but I still think that these people deserve our help, and I'm gonna go help them. And Sokka is like, okay, I'm still annoyed at you. (laughs) (laughs) But you matter to me, and I'm going to stand by you. I thought this was really great character growth. Because, again, going back to the Imprisoned episode, where I don't know that Sokka, season one Sokka, would have been as understanding as he was in this episode. And I think it shows that he has changed a lot since then, and he really respects Katara because in the imprisoned episode for the most part he kind of just like stood by and let her do what she wanted but this time he's like okay I'm gonna throw my support behind you this time yeah that's a really good point I hadn't thought about the comparison between this and imprisoned in terms of Sokka's attitude I think that works really well they even make a joke right that like Sokka has a heart (laughs) And, like, Aang, I think, is tearing up, which I was a little bit like, well, duh. (laughs) That was just such a good discussion between the two of them and how they're really willing to support each other now. And and in prison, she was helping Earth Kingdom people, and even then, Sokka was reluctant. And now she's even helping Fire Nation people, and he's willing to get behind her, which is, like, huge for him. This is a big deal for Sokka. Yeah. Because <laughs> every single episode, basically, even in the last one, when when Aang wanted to throw the dance party, he was like, what are we going to do for these depraved little Fire Nation kids? Right, right. So I, this really is a big deal. I, I just don't want to, like, downplay it. I think it's it's great character development for him. Yeah, I totally agree. It made me think about um, something that I had been ruminating on sort of in the past couple of weeks, 
which is it occurred to me that there was a parallel between Sokka and uh, I'm about to get a lot of hate for this but I don't care Gale Hawthorne from The Hunger Games because I think that both of them are characters who can be seen sometimes to be a bit cold Mm. because they're very practical I think that the mistake is thinking that just because they come across that way, they don't care. Because I think it's very obvious that they do care. And, you know, Gale, it's a bunch of other things in The Hunger Games that I won't go into too much. But, for example, (laughs) he is the reason Katniss knows how to hunt, right? It's very obvious. And he also protects, like, all of his siblings (laughs) and feeds them and everything. So (laughs) I'm going into my Gale rant. Uh, I think with Sokka, it's kind of a similar situation where he clearly cares a great deal, especially about the people close to him. But it's just that when it comes to the bigger picture, he's more focused on, okay, like, how can we solve this problem as opposed to how can we, in the moment, help this individual person? And uh, I really like that uh, about Sokka and Gale. (laughs) And I think... At this point, I think it does a really good job of going back to that whole balance thing where you have to both get at the root of the problem, but also make personal connections because sometimes destroying the root of the problem can lead to really bad consequences like it does here. True, true. And there's a ripple effect, but then also only treating the symptoms maybe isn't enough yeah, there there needs to be both at the end of the day. And again, always coming back to that theme of balance, which I think is great. Yeah, yeah, I love it. We get to see then, uh, once Sokka has said, like, I'm on your side, um, we do get to see the people come into the village and they start to kind of threaten the local villagers. And this is one thing that I thought was interesting was that uh, I wrote a note that I thought this was the first time that we've seen a lady as like a Fire Nation soldier person. (laughs) And then Avatar Wiki said that this is actually the first episode in which you see a female firebender other than Azula. Oh, cool. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, not cool what she's doing, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's just interesting. I wonder why they made that choice is to not really include women. I mean, I think maybe it's partly because, like, these kinds of imperialist societies tend to be very male-dominated. We'll see a few more guards slash soldiers that are women in the future. But, yeah, I think it's kind of like the U.S.'s military, right, where it's very male-dominated. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, So the solution that the gang come up with for this problem is to put on quite the production. It's actually very cool. <laughs> it is. It's really cool. I think the production values were extremely high. Better than the special effects that the Ember Island players have. I'm just going to put that out there right now. Oh, really? <laughs> well, the Ember Island players don't have Appa, first of all, who was making like these creepy noises, which I thought was really funny. Yes. And Toph was making some noises as well, and Sokka was playing the flute. <laughs> I love that. That was so cool. I didn't know he played the flute, so it was fun. He learned it specifically for this moment. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah, so they're creating like this very spooky atmosphere, and Katara has dressed up as the painted lady again, and she sort of 
floats onto the scene with the help of Aang. <laughs> yes, yes. It's so cool. Aang is like kind of underneath the pier, I guess. And he's kind of doing all these special effects, as you said, while she's floating. And it's it's really cool. Yeah, so she basically scares the heck out of these factory workers and destroys like their weapons as well and their I guess they're like kind of like jet skis. Yeah. Most of them run away except for the factory manager. There is this kind of final showdown between Katara and the factory manager. He sends like a burst of fire her way. And I thought this was really cool how she basically just stood there as it came right at her, but was trusting enough and Aang to get her out of harm's way right in the nick of time. And I thought that was a kind of a little parallel back to the episode where he burned her and she was kind of afraid of fire. And now they've built this much trust in each other, which is really sweet. Oh, that's beautiful. I like that. Then they managed to defeat him. Hooray. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like a one episode villain type situation. Yeah. Well, she basically threatens him, like, don't ever come back here again. I guess he's going to listen, hopefully. One would hope. One would hope. But they do kind of still have a problem to deal with. And this is when it kind of comes back around to the fact that they haven't addressed the root cause of the problem. So the villagers find out that she is not actually the painted lady. Her makeup starts coming off and they're like, oh no, she's a waterbender. (laughs) Oh yeah, there is that as well. I forgot about that part. (laughs) Yeah, and they're kind of a little bit put off by this. Yeah, and then Sokka yells at them. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, which I also enjoyed because I wrote um, about Aang earlier that he always has Katara's back and then I wrote Sokka also always has Katara's back. But then she talks to them and and they do come around eventually, which I think is really good because we don't get to see that sometimes, especially with Fire Nation people. Not to give them like too much credit, but <laughs> <laughs> it's nice that their minds haven't been poisoned and they're willing to give someone else a shot. And then... This is when the aforementioned problem comes up because they realize that what they need to do now is to clean this river. Because even though the factory's not there anymore, the water's still polluted. After Katara reveals herself, they're like, well, maybe we can clean the river. Actually, it's Toph that suggests it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. And so they all team up together and uh, make sure that the river is clean. Yay! It's beautiful again. (laughs) And hopefully there'll be no more two-headed fish. We didn't mention the two-headed fish, but they do appear. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) More for your money. And then they're also finally able to leave, which I think Sokka is pretty relieved about. (laughs) Yeah. They do stay one more night, though, just to rest before they have to go. And this is when... My poem happens. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> because we get to see the real painted lady. Yes, she appears to Katara at night and just tells her thank you. 
which is really sweet. It was a little bit sort of ambiguous as to like why she didn't show up before, but I thought that you had a good reasoning for it. Not in your notes. I think we talked about this on Discord. It reminded me of the situation with Hey Bai, where his for- forest was destroyed, and so he kind of became this monster. So I felt like it was similar where the land that she was watching over her river that was kind of the sacred spot became polluted and it it drove her away Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that makes sense to me honestly I also it was really funny because I wrote a note that I was like I made the connection between the painted lady and Yue because like you know painted lady is a water type spirit Yue is the moon And I just made a joke, like, the Painted Lady and Yue are definitely friends, right? Then I found out, again, Avatar Wiki, they're getting a strong showing in this episode. They said that (laughs) in the Avatar extras, it stated that the Painted Lady is a water spirit and that the moon spirit and water spirit are closely related, um, which means that she's related to Princess Yue. Oh, cool. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was really neat. So my headcan is definitely that they're friends. Sisters, spiritual sisters. I'm glad Yue has some spirit friends that she can jive with and isn't just, like, sitting with Ko. Can you imagine? That would be terrible. (laughs) Or the angry baboon guy. Oh, my God. Yeah, I wonder if she and the painted lady get together and talk about how weird they are. Probably. (laughs) I thought this was a really nice ending to the episode and, you know, having a spirit appear to her is really special because that doesn't get to happen with a lot of people and I'm just proud of Katara (laughs) yeah yeah I'm really proud of her too I think I think her heart was in the right place throughout this episode you know and it's kind of similar to imprisoned in that way in that sometimes she does things kind of impulsively but it's coming from a really good place it's just very Katara and I like that all right that's the episode. It's a pretty straightforward episode because it's just the one plotline. But yeah, I did enjoy it. I do enjoy these kinds of episodes, even though like it's not as maybe lore heavy or anything like that. Um, the character work is really good, as you said. So uh, are we ready to move on to our MVP? All right, let's do it. Who are we thinking? I know who I want, and that's Katara. (laughs) Yeah, I think Katara, too. I don't think there are really any other contenders. Yeah. Shout out to Sokka and Aang. Yeah. Shout out to the whole gang, really. They did a good job at the end, how they put on that production. That was really fun. But yeah, I think Katara's the main driving force in this episode, and yeah, like I said, just really proud of her. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really proud of her, too. She continues to stand out for what she believes in then that was pretty straightforward let's go to (laughs) our playlist all right do you want to go first sure i can do mine is actually related to katara fitting with our mvp i picked the song powerless say what you want by nelly furtado and this song is interesting because it has a little bit of a backstory to it which is that nelly furtado is portuguese And uh, she's also Canadian, but she's got Portuguese kind of uh, parents. She's not white, uh, essentially. 
she had the experience when she first started releasing albums that the record companies kind of wanted to hide her ethnicity and she wrote this song as kind of like a rebellion against what they were saying and it made me think about Katara because Katara is also a woman of color but also it talks about feeling powerless and how you come into your own power and use your own voice and that's why it reminded me of Katara you know doing that in this episode it also references painting which I thought was kind of fun because of the episode oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) but it says paint my face in your magazines make it look whiter than it seems paint me over with your dreams shove away my ethnicity burn every notion that I might have a flame inside to fight and say just what is on my mind without offending your might and then it goes into the chorus which is because this life is too short to live it just for you but when you feel so powerless what are you gonna do so say what you want say what you want Yeah, I think Katara is that kind of person, you know, when she feels like she is powerless, she speaks out and tries to make things right. So I liked this song for her. That's sweet. I like that. (laughs) Good. I'm glad. I like the backstory as well. That's really cool. Even though Katara isn't experiencing the same situation exactly, I thought it still kind of was an interesting story. So what about you? What song did you pick? I picked We Will All Be Changed by, I believe it's pronounced Saren. Sorry if that's not correct. (laughs) (laughs) And this, I just felt fit with the overall theme of the episode and a lot of just what I've been talking about of how the gang has this down in the trenches sort of approach to what's going on right now and how they're helping people out. So... The lyrics are, we can shape but can't control these possibilities to grow. Weeds amongst the push and pull waiting on the wind to take us. We can write with ink and pen, but we will sow with seeds instead, starting with words we've said, and we will all be changed. Both the Fire Nation villagers in this episode and the gang were changed in a way. For the better and that's kind of the theme of this song and I really enjoy it it's also got like kind of this folksy sound to it which I thought fit with the episode as well <laughs> so. so does my song actually it has kind of a bit of a folksy sound oh really I haven't heard it I, I have to listen to it yeah um I want to listen to yours too because those lyrics are really beautiful I like the lyrics a lot yes so we'll have to check each other's out yeah this um, song by Nelly Furtado actually comes from an album that's called Folklore so oh okay what do we have in store next episode I guess it will follow on from some of the character development that we've had for Sokka right yeah yeah I'm very excited for you to watch this one I feel like you've kind of been waiting for it for a little while Ever since we watched the cast reunion and Jack DeSena talked about how this was his favorite episode. And it is such a great episode because, like he said in the cast reunion, not a lot of shows give this kind of depth and care to their comic relief character. And I do think in some ways Sokka is the comic relief, but he's so much deeper than that. And 
this episode really delves into his insecurities and you know he's gotten beat up on a lot for being like the non-bender of the group yeah and this is really addressing that and how it's kind of been building up in him this whole time just a really really cool episode cool b plot going on ira's coming back Oh. In a pretty big way, yeah. Ooh, and... there's so much good stuff in this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just got, like, chills thinking about it. <laughs> uh, what else? And a, a very, very cool introduction to a new character who I think you're going to like a lot. Ooh. So, yeah. Lots to look forward to. <laughs> and we have a guest. Yes, we do. On top of all that, we're getting Stephen is coming back. Like a boomerang. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. That was an excellent joke. I applaud you. <laughs> Thank you. I was just going to say that I actually invited him back because I remembered from our last episode that he said he was a big soccer fan, so I thought he might mm-hmm. be interested. And now that I know that Iroh is also a part of it, he might also be interested in that because I know he likes Iroh too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're excited to have him back, excited to talk about this episode. Um, Yeah, I'm just excited. (laughs) All right. Well, until next time, you can find us on Twitter at Ember Sayers. Here, Rebecca tweets out the MVP slash MVPs of each episode, as well as some fun memes. And we love to interact with you on there. So please follow us and shoot us a tweet anytime you want. Yes, yes, absolutely. And if you want to send us something longer... You can email us, emberislandsayers at gmail.com, and we will gladly read your question out on the podcast, no matter how weird it is, unless you don't want us to. We are on multiple platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, and even if you aren't, we would love a rating and a review. Five stars would be wonderful, and this really helps people discover our podcast and find us and we'd love to garner a larger audience (laughs) yes we would so until Sokka's master I will tell you all to stay flaming and destroy some factories (laughs) (laughs) stay flaming everybody hey girl what do you want to do tonight Go destroy a factory? All right, let's let's go. I'm down. Yeah, that co. I tried to be friends with him, but he just kept changing his face. Taylor Swift stealing from Nelly and Guru Patik. I don't know what's going on.